Welcome to the Social Housing Podcast from Voicescape, the only podcast dedicated to helping social landlords build sustainable tenancies. During this series of podcasts, we'll be speaking to leaders from the social housing sector and beyond, hopefully challenging the status quo a little bit, and also stimulating discussion around how technology can be better utilised to help build sustainable tenancies. I'm your host, John Doyle, the Chief Exec and Founder of Voicegate. That last chapter, I get that it's odd sitting in the social housing white paper. And if you look at it, safety is mentioned, let me just get this figure right, 141 times in the chapter, which is what you'd expect. Stigma, the big thing that came out of the Alex Sharma meetings is only mentioned six times. Shared ownership is mentioned 25 times. I get that it's out of kilter with safety. I get that it's out of kilter with stigma. I think it should have been handled separately. I don't think shared ownership is necessarily the right answer, but until we tackle the housing market, social inequality, social mobility will stay exactly as it is. So that's why I think it's an important chapter. Today's guest on the Social Housing Podcast is none other than Alistair McIntosh, the founder and chief executive of the Housing Quality Network. He's known for not being short of an opinion or two, and he's always good entertainment. So I got your, your, your email through, uh, Alistair, and yeah, chapter seven of the charter. Yeah. Why, home on, why is home ownership in there? What do you think? Well, um, obviously home ownership is in there because the Conservatives are tied to it. Uh, the right to buy was a fantastic electoral winner for them. It was a precursor to charging across the red wall, wasn't it? It got them votes in areas you'd never have imagined, and it broke up uh, an enormous bank of Labour votes. But that's not the only reason it's in there. If you go back to 2007, when Labour were in power, they asked the Professor John Hills, who sadly died recently, uh, from the LSE's uh, Centre for, for Social Exclusion, to look into why social mobility had stopped dead in the United Kingdom. And a big part of his conclusion was about the housing market. And in the housing market, the children of owner-occupiers get left money, they get handed money to buy homes. It wasn't as prevalent in 2007 as it is today. And this year, one in four property transactions will be funded by friends and family. That's not an option that's available to children by large of social housing tenants. And the chapter, at the start of the chapter, the the label of of, of the chapter says, um, want to move people into home ownership because it's a ladder to other opportunities as it is. So tremendous amount of money being uh, spent by parents to help their 
children and internet the market. I think um, in the current year, it's going to be £3.5 billion, pounds, yeah? down wow. from 2019 because of the pandemic. Obviously, that supports £50 billion pounds worth of transactions, 175,000 moves, and that will cascade on to future generations. So there's a huge amount of money being kept in the economy for owner-occupiers that isn't open to social tenants. I remember many years ago when I was a kid, I watched Mick McGarkey, the miners' leader, came on the Parkinson show, and he said his ambition was to put the miners into the super tax bracket. Now, guys at Mick McGarkey were very, very well read. They could easily have got PhDs from universities. They realised education wasn't the only key to social mobility, happiness and success. You do need money. And in the 2007 report by John Hills, you actually had the start of the 10% shared ownership idea that was seized upon by the social housing charter. So that last chapter, I get that it's odd sitting in the social housing white paper. And if you look at it, safety is mentioned. Let me just get this figure right. 141 times in the charter, which is what you'd expect. Yeah. Stigma. The big thing that came out of the Alex Sharma meetings is only mentioned six times. Shared ownership is mentioned 25 times. I get that it's out of kilter with safety. I get that it's out of kilter with stigma. I think it should have been handled separately. I don't think shared ownership is necessarily the right answer. But until we tackle the housing market, social inequality, social mobility will stay exactly as it is. So that's why I think it's an important chapter. Can I ask you, Alistair, just genuinely, how, how is 10% ownership really going to tackle the problem that you're hoping it will tackle? Oh, it's a SOP. It's a complete SOP. It needs a root and branch approach. I mean, the, the average uh, deposit that's been paid by friends and family at the moment is £20,000, yeah? So as a minimum you would want some government scheme to pay the deposit for people moving into home ownership. Um, and I think the, the worst tenure of all, of course, now, at least if you're in, in social housing, the rents are fairly modest. The landlord is almost always benign. The private rented sector is a big problem now, isn't it? People are paying higher rents, fewer chances to save, very few chances to move out. I mean, those people in the private rented sector are really, really suffering. I think they uh, should have been mentioned or, or tackled in more depth in the charter. Some of the numbers that have put, been put forward with regards to the affordable housing programme, massive numbers. I mean, mm. I think it said 11.5 billion to build yeah. 180,000 homes on top of a previous programme, which was 9 billion, to build 250,000 homes by 2023. Great numbers were the houses. Well, <laughs> and would you trust the current builders to go the messages, as we see in Glasgow? You know, if you, if you look at the atrocious standard of new flats in terms of safety and quality and running costs for owners, they are disastrous. So I think it's it's not just a matter of the money that's being spent. I mean, Boris and, and the Chancellor, you, you know, they'll, they'll sign a cheque for anything at the moment, won't they? 
It's not just the money, it's our ability to mobilize to build these properties. And after that, it's our ability to build them competently. There's a huge engineering problem right across Britain, isn't there? The Scottish people can't seem to build ferries competently. The English can't build a train to save their life. What happened to that nuclear power station in Wales? I mean, it's just from right to left, our basic engineering ability is diabolical at the moment. And I think that is a factor in, in getting these houses up far more significant than, than the money, because with low interest rates, you will always find someone that says it makes sense to spend money. But it's not just signing the check, it's delivering. Okay, on the point of delivering, you and I had a conversation recently and you talked about this trend where the local authorities are now looking to take some of the, the weight, if you like, of building the properties and running the properties back from some of the housing associations. What do you think is behind that? Well, it's, uh, you know, I remember the 1980s, local authority, Scott was in a terrible state, partly because of lack of government investment, partly because of a suicidal trend to charge low rents in order to court cheap popularity. The only way to fix it at that point in time was to put the properties to housing associations. You put them to housing associations, a couple of things happened. A, you had access to private finance, and B, and this was a big selling point for Conservative councillors. I used to say Conservative Party Marxist-Leninist, in the Shire, they hated the right to buy. And part of the reason for stock transfer was to stymie the right to buy. So they went for that. They went crazy for it. They loved it. Millions of houses transferred over. But some of the housing associations are perceived by local authorities to have got a bit too big for their boots. You should see the correspondence that passes between MPs, councillors and some of the larger associations. And now... The councils are saying, hang on a minute, we've got some freedoms, we can build, let's build here for local people. And you cannot fail to notice that the best social housing development in everyone's eyes in the last uh, 18 months, two years, was built by Norwich City Council. I mean, that is a real, real wake-up call for the housing associations. I mean, I've spoken to BBC teams and Politics Live, we went away and saw the stock in Norwich and just were staggered at how good it was. So I think, um, you know, something to think about. OK, yeah, I mean, it's, it's close to home for us here in Manchester because obviously recently the Alamo Northwoods have been taken back into the City Council. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to take your view on that as to what's really behind that. Is it political or is it practical? Both, probably. Well, I... I... <laughs> <laughs> I did read the consultant's report and I wouldn't say I was any the wiser. Um, I, th I think it's never a good idea to intrude on, on, on private grief. But Manchester City Council, of course, uh, wants the stock to be maintained uh, to the highest possible level. And they believe there are some savings to be made by, by taking the stock back. We will see how that pans out in, in the end. I mean, so many animals are going back at the moment. Uh, and, and the argument is always about savings. So, again, I'm just wondering, technically, I could understand why an Almo's properties could go back into a council, but presumably, you know, you can't be getting the housing association stock back off them if the stock's been... Oh, well, no, that, that, that's gone forever. It's, it's yeah. new supply that the local authorities are, are focusing on, yeah? 
Okay. And again, a previous conversation we had, Alistair, there is always this, uh, it's easy to say, because if you read anything, it's like, we need to build more houses, we need to build more houses. Yeah. And, and you made a very interesting point about, is it really about building more? Is it about allocation? And well, before the last general election, I attended um, a, pr a presentation by the Institute of Fiscal Studies. And Paul Johnson said, we don't have necessarily a, a supply problem in this country. We have an allocation problem. And of course, many people now have got numerous houses. You've got buy-to-lets. You've got intergenerational issue. And I'll go back to my earlier point of home ownership. If you could spread the merits of home ownership more widely, the world would be a better place. Back to 2007, when John Hells was, was producing his study for New Labour, he, re you know, he woke up and smelt the coffee. You know, we will only ever add to the new stock at a glacial rate. There were some studies, I think, by the University of Reading five or six years ago that said if you wanted to bring house prices down, it was generally a good thing. You had to add as many homes every year as the percentage growth in GDP that year. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a big amount of homes you'd have to build in order to make a dramatic impact on affordability. Because it's an interesting point, the, that, that debate between allocation and, and availability, if you yeah. like, because a lot of the impression I get from social landlords and part of the, the, the problem within the sector is there's an endless demand for affordable homes. There seems yeah. to be no end to the demand and obviously short supply. And in any other line of business, that would create certain behaviours which wouldn't be unexpected, one of them being a little bit of complacency. Well, you know, discuss. I mean, you know, Housing Quality Network, we work with hundreds and hundreds of landlords. I don't detect that complacency. What I think is needed in some places, not everywhere, is the return of some sort of visual inspection of estates, yeah? Okay. Some of the estates I see are not at all uh, well kept. Now, some of that's investment. I get that. Other bits of it are because boards are focused on the regulator and covenants, not day-to-day -day services. I mean, what other industry, what other industry has a regulator that focuses on the cash and not the product? Ofsted looks at the product. Offwatt looks at the product. Our regulatory system, set up by Grant Sharps, I don't blame people at the regulator of social housing at all for this, it's myopic. The blinkers are on. Here's the accounts. Oh, bloody hell, there's some houses over there. How did that happen? You know, it's like, it's like, you know, the Premier League focusing on the accounts, not the football. Crackers. So I don't think there's complacency. Right. But I think there's sometimes a diversion of focus. Was it Jim Coulter years and years ago said uh, when he received a paper from the government on regulating a diverse sector, he joked that it was diverting a regulated sector. I think that's what we've got at the moment. Too much focus on the cash, too little focus on the frontline services, and that is why we are in the pickle that we are in. Interesting, very interesting, because, again, I had a little look at the charter this morning before we came on, and I pulled out a line that stuck in my mind, building better, building beautiful. 
you know, you talked about the... Well, don't <laughs> the get <stunts>. me started. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, um, I remember some years ago, I, I was up at uh, Woodbury Down, Woodbury Grove, up in Hackney, yeah? Yeah. And some launch meeting. Beautiful new community centre, overlooking a reservoir, fantastic new build properties, yeah? So I said to the director of housing, Charlotte, you must be so proud of this. And she said, well, not really, Alistair. If we maintained those properties, we'd never have had to build these ones. So if we had maintained some of the stock, yeah. we wouldn't be having these debates about you know, what we build in the future. There wouldn't be this stigma about council estates. I was walking around uh, the foot of Trellick Tower with a BBC camera team just before the lockdown, and they'd been up to Norwich and seen those lovely buildings, and, and, and they were aghast at um, the properties at the foot of Trellick. And I said, but if these had been maintained properly, yeah. I don't criticise the council, if the investment had been available, you know, you guys would have walked into these properties today, wouldn't you? It's a fantastic postcode. You've got the river there, you've got Portobello Road there. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? So, fantastic site. I don't think anything much wrong with the initial design. Lack of maintenance is what has crucified the reputation of social housing, and that's what's got to be addressed. Not, I mean, the, the whole beautiful buildings movement is great. I get it, I love it, I adore it. Well done, Norwich. But we will only ever add new properties at a glacial pace. We've got to look after the ones we have got. Yeah, it's a, it reminds me of an old adage. Um, it's easier to give birth than raise the dead. And it's almost, <laughs> yes. that, it's almost that mentality, isn't it? Let's build some new yeah, things. That, that may have sounded better in the original Greek, but never mind. <laughs> Just the, the final bit from the chapter seven. Yeah. It talks about new shared ownership models. And we just, in effect, poured a little bit of scorn on the 10%. What, what do you think that should look like? What does a sensible new shared ownership model look like? Well, just... I, I, I'm not sure shared ownership is the right answer because oh. of it, the terms of it. The reputation is currently damaged. But we definitely do need some sort of product between the high end of the market, which is unattainable for most people now, and with current stock that's available, yeah? yeah? We do need good quality council housing, you know? Yeah. I live in a street of council houses. People love them. You know, it, it makes the world go round. Yeah. Good, well-maintained council housing, absolutely essential, the bedrock, yeah? If we want social mobility, and not everyone does, I get all the arguments and all sides of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But if we do want social mobility... We have to do more to spread the wealth around. And as the UK is currently configured, that means spreading the housing wealth around. And there's some hard choices on tax, maybe on inheritance tax, maybe on multiple property ownership, tax incentives to the private rented sector, as well as steps like help to buy and shared ownership to encourage more home ownership. And help to buy, if I can get on my soapbox for a second, has been help to the builders, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. They've made, you know, Bellway shares have gone up, what is it, 70% in the last couple of years, thanks to the fact they've been nationalised by the government, yeah? Yeah. So I don't think we need to go rushing into this in a harebrained fashion, but we do need to come up with a better way of ensuring those good quality, affordable council housing stock and social mobility. 
and it will be an incredibly difficult job to untangle the current mess. But you go back to 2007 and John Hill's God rest his soul anticipated every difficulty that we have ignored since that point. Right. Looking at, perhaps looking at it optimistically, because I accept what you're saying. I'm Scottish, I don't do optimism, man. (laughs) And even when we do get optimistic, we we get all the way to Wembley to play you lot in in the Euros or whatever it is, or or Wembley, we call it a garden centre, because that's where we get our turf, and we still don't get to go because there's flaming lockdown. So don't talk to me about optimism. I'm just thinking with obviously with the pandemic hopefully passing us by sometime this year and looking at the requirement to obviously invest, grow the economy, there'll be a lot of joblessness, tying that in with all of the commitments we're making to zero carbon and pulling that back to the argument you were just making earlier, if we'd maintain these properties better, is there an opportunity to mobilise the troops and kill a few birds with one stone in the next couple of years? Well, yes, there is. And whilst the level of debt is utterly eye-watering, interest rates are incredibly low. So there is an opportunity. And, and I think the green agenda is the one thing that unites Joe Biden and Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon, yeah? Yeah. So maybe we can knock the heads together and get some progress rather than the, the constant carping we see. Brilliant. Well, I think on that optimistic note, Alistair, you know, looking at the housing crisis and what can be done about it, I'd like to thank you for your time and your input this morning. It's been a pleasure and I wish you and Voicescape and everyone that sails in it all the best. Cheers. Thank you very much, Alistair. Cheers. If you are new to the Social Housing Podcast, please subscribe if you're listening via Apple Podcasts or leave a follow if you use Spotify. Also, please remember to leave us any feedback, good, bad or ugly, it can only help serve improve us. Finally, I'd like to thank you all for your time and attention. I appreciate that everybody's busy, but I do hope you learned something from the experience. I certainly did. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time on the Social Housing Podcast. Goodbye.